really proud of for how they are not listening. taking it. Right? You've got to take, take the lunch money from the bullies. And that is what Alvin Bragg is doing. The complaint, I, I, I completely um, pass off to the Manhattan DA and their outside law firm, Gibson Dunn, for the eloquent way that, as you pointed out, Karen, they mixed and matched and showed the, ca the cause and effect, the coordination between the House, the Speaker of the House, Jim Jordan, Donald Trump, in their social media, in their tweets, all timed out um, to, at a coordinated attack on, on Alvin Bragg. Alvin was also able to pull together appropriately and put in the complaint photos of the tweets in which he's called an animal and a racist and depraved and, and, and all sorts of a criminal, a thug by Donald Trump. His wife oh. has gone after, he mentions Judge Mershon, the presiding judge. In the, in the court up the street, in the state court up the street, the Manhattan uh, 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 Supreme Court, that um, in which the judge's wife and daughter were attacked, the judge was attacked. He put up that picture, that, that cringy picture, Karen, that set you off with us anyway, that led us to go on the, on the podcast about a month or two ago, where basically Donald Trump has a, put up a photo, and we'll put it up here, of, with a baseball bat next to Alvin Bragg's head, threatening to brain him. Okay, if people didn't think that Alvin and his office and his team around him and whoever the current Karen Friedman Nicolo in that office is don't have eyes and ears and weren't watching all of this, we've talked at length on Legal AF about the gift that Donald Trump is giving to prosecutors and judges, and they're taking advantage of it. We're going to see it later in a segment. You know, Lewis Kaplan, who's presiding over the... We should be filing for them to take him into fucking case, custody. And all of this injected into his courtroom. He comments on all of these terrible things Donald Trump tweets, his surrogate tweets about uh, judges, juries, prosecutors, their family, calling them animals, depraved, dirty, filthy thugs, calling for death and destruction. For anybody out there that's new to the law... <laughs> just came to it because of Midas Touch and Legal AF. This is not normal. Prosecutors don't get attacked like this by notorious people, a public figure, a former president, um, on a regular basis. And having and then we talked about stochastic terrorism, where you blow the whistle into the ether and some crackpot picks it up and attacks Alvin Bragg and sends white powder, tries to assassinate him. Um, you know, and, and sends letters and all sorts of things. I mean, that's how, unfortunately, in this country, that's how mass shootings happen. That's that's when how terrorist cells get activated by comments that are made that are irresponsible and dangerous and treasonous by the former president, right? The businessman Donald Trump, as he identified himself in the courtroom during his you know prior when he's being booked and arrested. And then he goes on, Karen, Donald Trump, and this is where Alvin gets the upper hand because now it's in his federal filing. Almost a page out of Donald Trump's book. There are parts of the filing where I was like, hmm, Alvin didn't really need to talk about that, but he is delighting in the ability to roast Donald Trump and Jim Jordan and Congress. Yes, underneath it, there is a sophisticated legal argument about plenary police powers the sovereign, the sovereign doctrine, the sovereignty doctrine of state versus federal. 
the underpinnings of our U.S. Constitution and how we set up the federal versus state system and the, and the fact that there was never going to be, uh, because the Founding Fathers did not want the federal government to have basically police power in that way. That's why the, the, the government runs in armed forces. Okay, there's the, yes, there's the National Guard that doesn't do local policing or criminal justice. And that's for a reason. You didn't want a super grand jury sitting in Congress. That was the founding function. So, yes, in there, in the complaint, are all the foundations, all the Supreme Court precedent. One in particular I want to talk to you about, Karen, because I think you were there for it. The underpinnings and the factor analysis for when it is appropriate for Congress to give oversight and interfere in local prosecutorial conduct and lo local prosecutorial investigatory uh, matters is based on a Supreme Court case from just a few years ago involving, who else, Donald Trump and Mazers is now disgraced accounting firm who, who, who subsequently said everything that we've written about Donald Trump in our work papers and certified his financials for the last 10 years, you can't rely on them. That's Mazers. So there was a, a U.S. Supreme Court case involving Mazers, their documents, Donald Trump and, uh, and a subpoena. And Tara, why don't you talk to our, our uh, illegal AFers and law students out there about how that case developed and why it's cited so heavily in the complaint filed by Albert. Yeah, so there was a grand jury subpoena that under Syvance was issued to the Mazers accounting firm to get the taxes of uh, Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. And of course, Donald Trump fought that and said that uh, you should not, you shouldn't be able to um, get my taxes because he never wanted them released. And the what normally happens is when a lawyer wants to fight a subpoena, a state grand jury subpoena, because this was a state grand jury subpoena, normally they go before the state grand jury judge. And that's what happened in uh, this particular instance regarding the tax returns. But Trump said, no, I'm the former president, and therefore this should go to the uh, into federal court. So he ended up having it removed to federal court, and it, it ended up, there was a lawsuit and then a countersuit and it went up and down, up and down in federal court, all the way up to the Supreme Court twice. I actually uh, watched the argument in the Supreme Court and it was done, it was Perry Dunn, who's one of the prosecutors that resigned when, um, when Alvin Bragg came into office and he did a brilliant job of arguing why uh, the state should be able to have the tax returns and, and in that case, the Supreme Court set out Four factors of when it when when you can actually um, what four factors that are are appropriate for legal analysis in this particular case um, and so what ended up happening was Alvin cited those factors and cited that case here as precedent about why this uh, why he's perfectly within his right to bring this case and prosecute this case and, and keep it in state court. Uh, I want to just mention one other thing um, that you were talking about, which is Mark Pomerantz, who's a defendant in the um, in this filing that Bragg brought in the Southern District. And he, in addition to it being Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee, it's also a defendant is, um, is Mark Pomerantz. And 
And I think the way you explained it in your hot take was he was a necessary uh, a necessary defendant because he's a necessary party. He's the one who's being subpoenaed here. I found that sort of interesting because of all the claims that are being made, I wonder whether he's slightly vulnerable since he already wrote a book on this and has been very public, has gone on TV to speak about these things. Do you think he might be able to be compelled to talk about uh, the things he's already talked about and maybe even waived, number one? And number two, I'd love for you to talk about what you think of the federal judge that they pulled in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll talk about her a second. Um, there's already been <clears throat> a sort of a bad ruling by the judge, although I'll, I'll try to explain it, but I'm not sure it means that she's not going to properly, as a, even though she was Trump appointed, she's not going to properly evaluate the facts here, but I will talk about an order that she just made that wasn't great for Alvin on the way in. Let me start with that one since I'm there, and then I'll come right back, uh, Karen, to the question that you asked about Conoran's waiver and him being compelled and forced to testify before Congress. And I think that's that, that's where we've got some solid ground as outlined by, by Alvin Bragg. The judge has been assigned by random selection in the Southern District of New York is Mary Kay Viscussel. She was a bankrupt. She was a long-time bankruptcy lawyer, bankruptcy lawyer for a major firm, well-known firm in town. She got appointed to the bankruptcy court a long time ago, and then Trump. I, you know, some people think it's an elevation, elevated her to federal judge as opposed to just full-time bankruptcy judge. Um, but it's somebody that obviously Trump likes. Um, she really doesn't have a, a notorious reputation for doing anything inappropriate or being some sort of MAGA Trumper. I wouldn't expect that in New York at Southern District. But um, the first thing that Alvin did when he filed his papers, just so people understand how that works, you have a complaint which we've shown many, many times on Legal AF, which is the initial filed document in a civil case or in a criminal case, it's an indictment in a civil case, it's a complaint. And then there's an answer or there's motion practice around a complaint, motions to dismiss, and then later summary judgments. I'm just sort of reminding everybody where we are at Legal University. But when you file the complaint and you ask for a couple things that aren't, um, let's say, money damages, you ask for, in this case, you ask for money. You're asking for an injunction, which is to stop something something happening or to force something to happen. That's called a mandatory And then you often ask for what's called a declaratory judgment, which is a declaration by the court, what it sounds like, of right. Um, I think that Congress has crossed the barrier between state and federal improperly that they have violated sovereignty of the people of New York and what what resides in the Manhattan DA's office and I want that to characterize each other. So you often see when there's no money to you know, it's not like a a a breach. Um, it's not like a breach, but um, uh, so it's not money, but it's injunctive relief, right? So that's what they're going for here. And they filed with it papers. They filed with it papers about it getting an injunction. And they wanted what's called an ex parte, a, a temporary restraining order. And there, you're asking the judge, don't tell the other side. You don't need them here for this. Here's, the, here's our papers. Give us an injunction right now to stop 
the, the April 19th or 18th testimony that's being sought of Mark Pomerant, our former prosecutor, about an ongoing investigation and prosecution. And I keep saying investigation and prosecution because, yes, he's indicted under, Trump's indicted for 34 counts, but they're not done in the Manhattan DA's office. There could be a superseding or amended indictment, adding new counts and claims. In fact, Karen, you said in the past, there likely will be to add counts. So this is an active investigation and a prosecution by way of a current indictment. And so you can't have the precedent of every time Congress and the Republicans get a wild hair, they want to help Donald Trump, they're going to pull a local prosecutor across state federal lines to come answer for it in, in the House of Representatives. I mean, it's, the founding fathers are spinning in their graves. So... You ask for injunctive relief. You ask for it to be early and without the other side giving notice. So the judge said, you know what? I'm going to deny that. I'm going to deny the temporary restraining order without notice. Give notice to the other side. In other words, serve Jim Jordan in Congress, which is a way to do that. And let them brief it. And let's all come back for a hearing on April 18th, fully briefed on your request for an injunction and a declaration. So it's going to go fast. But it's, it's going to go on briefing and not on kind of a secret order that Jim, then Jim Jordan has to fight against. So I, I was sort of okay with that, but I saw some publicity that was like, federal judge denies emergency temporary restraining order. And I was like, oh, crap, the Trumper did it again. But I, that's not how I interpret it um, at all. So on the, as to your last question or your question, Karen, my father, he's got a big problem. I don't think waiver, even though I think he, there's aspects of it that he did, plays into it. But that privilege, the prosecutorial privilege, as you know, resides with the current occupant of that office, Alvin Bragg and the people of New York, not Mark Pomeran. That he went off and put things in a book that you and I were like smacking our forehead about why would you comment about the Stormy Daniels case? You don't even know if it's being prosecuted yet and your information is a year old because you left the office a long time ago. Why are you talking about your private conversations with Alvin Bragg? So I don't think it's his privilege or his whatever to waive. That's why he's a defendant, a nominal defendant in the case, because the subpoena is directed to him, not as Mark Pomerantz. Mark Pomerantz, former special prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office. So who comes in, intervenes? The boss. And the boss says, that ex-employee of mine, let's get this down to the labor law, employment law, that ex-employee of mine doesn't have the right Okay, to go testify before Congress about anything. And by the way, you don't have the power to, to subpoena because you're, you have a limited Congress oversight ability and you've abused that for political purposes in a retaliatory way in a Trump-up show in order to help Donald Trump. And that, that's the entire gist of this lawsuit. But you and I are going to talk a lot about it today because there's going to be a hearing that's going to be relatively public. It's not, it's not a secret grand jury. That's the other thing that Alvin Brack has told the judge in his filing. He wants an injunction to protect the sanctity of, and the secrecy of the grand jury and the grand jury process. Because you can't have, you know, people poking around. Oh, and, doing? and he ended it with this, Karen, Alvin and his lawsuit. He said if, if, if Donald Trump thinks that what I'm doing is political, which, by the way, Donald Trump says everybody is doing something, and if they're black, they're racist, and if they're Democrat, they're political, to give him a pass on his own crime, he called, you know, Letitia James, New York Attorney General, racist, and it's political. He went to three courts 
and each court told him they're not. Um, so everywhere he goes to attack the prosecutors, he makes that he makes that attack. And Alvin said, "You know what? If you think I'm bringing, if you think it's a political vendetta, this is for a man who did not run on a campaign of going after Trump." I know I've seen it in the papers where people have said, yeah, he ran on a campaign. No, he did not. If anybody ran on a campaign, it was Leticia James, the Attorney General, but not Alvin Bragg. And I yeah, he didn't, he, he, yeah, he didn't run on, I'm going to get Trump. It he came didn't. up, but it came up during debates because there was eight or nine people who ran for DA. And don't forget, the DA, whoever was going to win, whoever took over the reins of the, the helm of the Manhattan DA's office, was going to be handled an indictment against Alan Weisselberg and the Trump org, and at least one, maybe two cases, investigations that were pending. And so it was always a question of, of can you handle a, a Trump case? Because there were Trump cases, right? That's what it was about. It was just trying to see... Uh, you know, the, the different political politicians who were running, the different DAs who were running, could they take on a former president? And Donald Trump, because, not because this is such a complicated case, but because he's a man who will threaten, he's a man who will try and intimidate, who will try to use the legal process frivolously to try to delay things, make frivolous arguments, and never, ever try to be held accountable. In fact, he's somebody who declared his candidacy in order to avoid criminal prosecution. These investigations and prosecutions were well underway before he ever declared his candidacy. So these were there first, and Donald Trump declared uh, just so that he can say this is a political witch hunt and they're trying to interfere with the election. No, these existed first. He's the one who's trying to make it political. So that that's where that is. And look, I agree with you that... Um, that ultimately uh, Mark Pomerantz probably can't be required to testify because, you know, look, Alvin Bragg is clear. He put in his papers, we told you, we asked you not to write this book. We asked you not to go on TV. We asked you to, can we see a copy of the book in advance? And you said no. So, I mean, his objections, Bragg's objections to Mark Pomerantz are on the record. And so he, he didn't waive that either. But that being said, Jim Jordan, pick up Mark Pomerantz's book and read it. Read from it if you're hearing oh, but, but yeah, but I mean, he, doesn't want to, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to show circus in New York to, you know, to order to promote Donald Trump's agenda. So you can't just say, hey, read people versus Donald Trump. You want to, like, embarrass no. the yeah, prosecutor. But, yes, of course. He'll do that, too. Yeah. But he can put actors. I mean, I'm not kidding. That's, you can put people in place to pretend to be, and, and they will ask questions. What did you think of the assistant DAs, you know, an actor to pretend to be Mark Pomerantz and a questioner? What do you think of the assistant DAs in the Manhattan DA's office and read from page, you know, 46 of blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, they couldn't make a decision and they weren't very good and they were political, whatever. He can go on and on. He, he made disparaging remarks about Alvin Bragg. He made disparaging remarks about the career prosecutors in the case. He talked about the internal deliberations in the office regarding this case. And he talked about his own opinion of Donald Trump. And I just think it's it really created a scenario that is just politicizing something that should Hi, be Mimi. Don't bring your hang off. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you, Well, good on Alvin Bragg for drawing the line. Hi, little one. 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 Hi, little one.
you're not going to you're not going to you're not going to retaliate or intimidate um, this author that happens to be a for those that are watching and seeing in the comments um, isn't it a crime it is there are crimes of intimidation related to the prosecutors this is a civil case of Karen outline in, in the in the southern district asking for declaratory and injunctive relief that's it it doesn't mean that Alvin Bragg also could not bring other crimes and indict Donald Trump for it if it continues not to enforce it. But it could be too important. So we'll leave that for now. Um, and uh, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's take uh, just a moment <laughs> for a word from one of our sponsors. This is Michael Popa from Legal AF. If you're like me, you understand the pains of choosing what to wear. Oh, no. Let's face it. Most clothes are uncomfortable. They're too tight. Or never act to the size you really are. Never. Not to mention the annoyance of trying to put a good outfit together. Never. And when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours before you have an important meet. Where's the poop? Seriously. Oh my God. If someone's calling a clog and they have constipation, and frying pan into the fire. Hair and impartial jury selected from this group of 100 or 200 that are brought down by the by the uh, by the marshals. Oh, like that, and then you know you you go through a voir dire process, which is a selection process, a searching, um, searing inquiry of questions that in federal court is usually Hi. led, almost invariably Hi, led, dog. by the judge. State mommy. court a little more freehand for the lawyers to do the jury selection and questioning. Federal court, it's almost always the judge. The lawyers can ask questions, the judge can use them or reject them, but the, the purpose is to get a fair and impartial jury selected from this group of 100 or 200 that are brought down by the by the, uh, by the the marshals and the people that are responsible for jury selection from which to choose. So then you get to your 9 or your 12, the talk and it's going back and forth. Oh, somebody woke up on the both sides and said, oh, we want to see the names. So we got to know the names in advance. Maybe the jury becomes anonymous once they're picked, but we want to know who they are in advance. And don't worry, Judge, you can trust us. The lawyers will just know their names. And the judge said, yes, <laughs> we're not doing that. I told you the jury's going to be anonymous. You'll learn their names when we're in the selection process. I'll protect them and keep the media out of the room, of course. But that's the earliest you're ever going to know them. Um, so we're not doing that. And then, Karen, I want to, I want to bring in now Jessica Denson, who's our colleague on Lights On. Hi, Jessica. Great to see you. Great to see yeah. you again, Karen. It's been a while. <laughs> Jessica, how are you? Great, great. And Jessica, you know, the, the, has a great new show um, that she's on. Ben Marsalis is on there with her sometimes, uh, but uh, is a great new voice on the Might of Touch Network, and we're we're thrilled to have her join us for today. And and we were talking. We thought this was a good segment because who who's better at beating Donald Trump at his own game in a lawsuit, which is what you now try to do now, than Jessica Denson. Jessica, where to tell those that have been also seen your show or haven't seen the Might of such brothers shows that you've been on. Tell them a little bit about, you know, your claim to fame, how what you did to take down Donald Trump, and see if we can tie that back to you. Yeah, well, you absolutely have this this uh, you know powerful um, woman named Jean Carroll who has brought this case forward, and I I have so much respect for her in this case. But I really, I mean, with the news of Alvin Bragg's lawsuit against Trump, it reminded me so much of my own playbook, so to speak, my own legal trajectory and taking on Trump. 
for the viewers who have maybe never heard of me, I initially uh, worked for Donald Trump's campaign in 2016, and um, I've come full circle, 180 degrees out of that brainwashed, mesmeric vacuum of right-wing propaganda. I talk a lot about that on, on our new show, Lights On. But I worked for him in 2016, had a terrible um, discriminatory, defamatory experience. A year later, um, had an existential crisis, ended up suing the campaign for um, human rights violations and other common law claims. I filed this lawsuit on my own as a pro se litigant. And right out of the gate, the first maneuver of the Trump campaign in classic Trump style was to retaliate against me with a non-disclosure agreement and a $1.5 million arbitration demand. Now, I'm, I'm representing myself at this point. I haven't even found a lawyer because I didn't have the time or the money to do so before I came to this kind of existential realization that I had to take action. So I'm I'm juggling this, this unbelievable kind of pressure and intimidation and harassment of this retaliatory NDA action that they brought against me. And not knowing exactly what to do, what I ended up doing was I ended up handling it proactively. I never entered the arbitration that the, that the Trump campaign brought against me. Instead, I filed another pro se lawsuit in 2018 to invalidate Trump's non-disclosure agreement that he had all of his staffers on his 2016 campaign sign. And through many legal hoops in and out of court and arbitration, I event and of course amassing a legal team, wonderful legal team who has now joined me. I have invalidated that NDA in court. So when I saw Alvin Bragg yesterday file this lawsuit, I was so encouraged and just happy for him to be confronting this head on as I did, saying, No, we're not playing your games, we're not entering into your um, perversion, inversion of justice where you try to turn things on your head. We're going to handle these things proactively and um, challenge these subpoenas that are just weaponized, politicized attempts to defend Donald Trump from his, his sycophants in Congress. And um, and I think, you know, you may have some hiccups in the beginning. Certainly there's there's so much I have learned this over the past. What are we at now? Going on six years battling with the Trump campaign. There's a lot of delays. There's a lot of hurdles to overcome. But I think that was an excellent opening posture um, that Bragg brought against um, against Jim Jordan to say, this is where we stand. We are not going to be cowering back. We're going to handle handle this proactively. And, um, and it's that kind of attitude that defeats this paper tiger pretense of power that the Trump world tries to put out um, both through the legal system and the political scene. Yeah, that's, uh, that is encouraging for somebody like E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean has also an added benefit. She's got Robbie Kaplan, who Karen and I interviewed, Roberta Kaplan, powerhouse, rock star, trial lawyer, who's doing all the right things. Um, Karen, why don't you talk about the recent filings that Joe Tacopina and Alina Haba, in a letter brief, basically a day after or hours after their client appeared with Tucker Carlson talking about the Manhattan DA case and other things, what they filed in to, to try to delay the case 
for 30 days, whatever that means, for a cooling off period. And then Robbie Kaplan's almost instantaneous response, which I think handed them their hat. I've told people I've never seen a live vivisection where somebody's heart was pulled out of their chest and shown to them. But Robbie Kaplan's letter brief was about as close to it as I've seen. Talk, talk to the audience about what you took away from those two, those two filings. And what do you think Judge Kaplan's going to do about it? Yeah, the case is scheduled to begin April 25th. And uh, Trump is asking for an adjournment. He's saying it's because of pretrial publicity. Uh, he said since his indictment, there's been a del deluge of prejudicial media coverage. He asked for a one-month postponement. Uh, they indicated in there that holding the trial of this case a mere three weeks after these historic events will guarantee that many, if not most, prospective jurors will have the criminal allegations top of mind when judging President Trump's defense against Ms. Carroll's allegations. Uh, that was that was a quote, by the way. And Joe Tacopina, one of the lawyers, asked for a cooling off period, and uh, he said, you know, just we just want a month so that we can have everybody cool down. But let's think about what's going to happen in that month's time. Okay, during that in that month's time, he is going to be Donald Trump's likely going to be indicted again. This time in Georgia and probably also by Jack Smith soon thereafter, if not before. So really things will get worse, not better in a month's time. So given that and the fact that who created this media frenzy, okay? Who created this deluge of media attention? Donald Trump did. Donald Trump is the one who left court and held a rally at Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump is the one who appeared on Sean Hannity. Donald Trump is the one who is, is going out and making it so that there is a ton of media attention here. He's the one who called for protests and death and destruction, etc. So he has created the very situation that he's now complaining of. I think that there is no way in hell that the judge is going to give this adjournment not happening. This judge is going to make this trial occur. It's going to start now because, as I said, I think things get worse for Trump in terms of media attention, not better in a month. So this is just one more attempt at delay, 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 because, you know, that's what they do. They just want to, uh, to make these things, you know, just not go forward because going forward would mean being held to account for what he did. So I just really don't think that there's a chance in hell that the judge does this. I mean, what, what, what do you what, think? Yeah, what I like, I'll turn it over, then I'll turn it over to Jessica. What I liked about Robbie's um, letter brief back is it started with picking up because Joe Tacopina has a tin ear. He, he's, he's deaf because the judge just got through the day before telling the lawyers that he, the judge, is going to handle Vladimir that it's going to be a searching inquiry to get an impartial jury and that he, and that the judge is obviously fully aware of things the judge even pointed out i said two weeks ago that this jury needed to be anonymous for their own protection and under federal protection because of all the things donald trump had said and it got worse the judge said since then he's gone after judge mershon the sitting judge presiding over the criminal case down the street his family his friends his daughters his wives it's gotten worse not better so robbie started her letter with judge you're going to do the what here you're going to do the jury selection process and your ability to pick a fair and impartial jury plus 
she said, this is my part where they, Robbie just stuck it to Trump. Trump's ego is like, everything is all about me. Like, I think, Salty, we have it, where he's now told people that there were, that there were courtroom personnel that were crying and apologizing. Uh, really? Like the guy that hit him with the door and didn't bother holding the door for him? I mean, Karen, you and I are around New Yorkers all, all day long. Yeah, I'm sorry. No one in New York in the court system is crying. crying. Even if they're Trump supporters, they're not crying. Okay, that's so in her, this, this, New this York. One, in, in her letter brief, she said, well, Takapina and Hava make a big deal out of doing Google search. There's not a lot of law in their brief. But they did a Google search and they said, oh, 60,000 stories of Trump's indictment went on. And Robbie said, that's not the proper way to do it. Do it with Google Trends. And if you look at Google Trends, within a day or two of the indictment, the interest in Donald Trump's indictment dropped by 85%, almost back to pre-indictment levels. In fact, she went on just to stick it to him and said, New York is behind Akron, Ohio. And in between Akron, Ohio and Vegas, interest. And her quote was just withering. And seven days is that apparently it appears that New Yorkers aren't as fixated on Trump as he thinks they are. And then went on to say, what is 30 days for? What is, how is a 30, this is where Takapina from the first paragraph almost a fifth of the time left. 30 days? I mean, if you really seriously thought you should have been locked in, you'd have to go longer to the side. 30 days is not enough to cool off everything around the Donald Trump church. And as you rightly pointed out, Karen, more indictments coming in Atlanta, more indictments coming out of um, out of Jack Smith, more things going on in the Manhattan DA's office. It's not a cool down. He doesn't want it to cool down. He's fomenting it. So you can't, you know, we, we joke about this before, and I'll turn it over to Jessica. You know, it's, it's the old orphan mercy. You kill your parents, and then you ask the court for mercy because you're an orphan. You created this problem. This is going to be a loser. This thing's going to, I'll, I'll eat, I'll come back on the show and yeah. eat my hat. Eat my hat. <laughs> if this doesn't go to trial on the 25th of April. Of April. What Did you have another week? Did you happen to catch the judge said no more delays due to their advanced ages? Because Trump is 76 and the ages are 78. I love that because he's always talking about how Joe Biden, you know, whatever. Trump is, you know, getting up there too. So, yeah, of course. All right, Jessica, what did yeah, you, you were first of all, Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, when you were talking about New Yorkers not liking Trump, it reminded me of my pro se days fighting. I was in, in the, that New York Supreme Courthouse so many times because I filed a paper lawsuit. I didn't do it electronically when I first filed. So I had to literally like bring my motions into the motion practice room in New York. And I remember the first time I went and I sat before a clerk. So there's a little bit of the sentiment of New Yorkers, not to mention in the in the courts um, in New York for for Donald Trump. And there were so many times I, I I was doing this on my own for so long that I had to get other people to serve papers for me. You know, I couldn't I couldn't even put an envelope in the mail myself because I'm the party. So I would have to get somebody else to do. And I would literally just walk on the street outside of New York Supreme Courthouse and find a New Yorker who was happy as anything to be helping somebody in a lawsuit against Donald Trump. So that's the New York sentiment for, for uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. And yet, no, yeah. we don't care about you. <laughs> but but I think, I think Jessica's a testament to a couple of things. 
one, you, this is what we do, Karen, and you and I for a living, is, is brain surgery. As my mother always said, you need a good doctor, you need a good tailor, and you need a good lawyer in your life. There's a reason for that. But, but you can, I mean, it, it, you can do it yourself. It's the, it's the ultimate DIY project, which is what, which is what uh, Jessica has done to take down Donald Trump and all the lawyers around him the way that she did. So if you now add on Robbie Kaplan, and, and I'm, I'm waiting, and I want to hear from both of you on this. Holy shit, guys. Um, take it easy. I, I don't have. I have it from experience, but you have it from your vantage point. You've got Joe Tackett. This is the only two lawyers. I thought a long time ago they were going to replace the lawyers. But this case got closer to trial, and the seriousness of the allegations became clear that this could really nail Donald Trump because the jury, if they find civil rape and they find defamation, they're going to write a big fat check against Donald Trump. Okay? And he's going to go down in history. I forget, you know, he has the 34 counts are interesting up the street for Stormy Daniels and paying off a woman he has sex with. It's civil rape. That's a whole different branding for history. I thought he replaced his lawyer. He brought in Joe Tacitino. And I said, all right, he's going to be the lead lawyer. Okay, and then but Alina Hobb is still there. Who cross-examined? This is very delicate. E. Jean Carroll. Is it Joe Tacopina, who has shown no nuance, no no velvet touch at all in any of his... He's the pitfall. He's the pitfall in the china shop, to mix metaphors. Is he the one that's going to suddenly be, uh, uh, Hi, Miss Carroll. I'm, I'm the lawyer. I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Or is Alina Hoppe? Well, right, this coloring. I called it a coloring book during the last one. Or is it? Or is it Alina Hoppe? These seem to be the only two choices. And and I want to hear it from Karen, having done this and done sex assault cases when she was a prosecutor and violent crime, that kind of thing. And then from you, Jessica, and just being a a absorber of all things legal, from your perspective about how that would play out for a jury, Karen. What do you, who does this, and what do you think the impact of the jury is going to be on who's chosen to be the cross-examiner of E.G. and Carroll? Karen, you're muted. Live TV, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, I know. This is live, live. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so oftentimes uh, criminal defense attorneys are... Uh, they, they believe that in sexual assault cases, it's better to have a woman do the cross-examination of another woman so that the man doesn't, uh, doesn't come across as too heavy-handed. And it's also a little bit awkward, especially when a woman is talking about a sexual assault, having a man talk about things in detail, because you have to ask detailed questions during cross-examination. So they often bring a woman in to do that. In fact, now that I'm a criminal defense attorney, I've had uh, multiple requests to be that person in a trial to, to do that. And, um, you know, they, they're, they're, they're typically shopping around for, for a woman. So I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Tacitina isn't, even, even if he can soften his voice, and he, he's, he's an experienced trial lawyer, even if he can tone it down and, and soften it, it's it's creepy and awkward to have, you know, you have to go into detail in cross-examination. That's, that's typically what's done to try to show that it either lacks detail or somehow doesn't make any sense. And so you're talking about body parts and, and private things and who touched who, where and when and what came first. And, and it's really not only 
awkward and creepy, but offensive to have a man talking to a sexual assault survivor uh, in, a, in a trial. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it brings a woman in. What, what do you think, Jessica? I would think that if they have any hope at all, they would bring a woman in. Um, I, I just as you're talking about that, knowing the kind of persona of Joe Tacopina, I'm thinking about the Trump lawyers that are on the Trump campaign in my case. Uh, all male. One of them I went head to head with in an oral argument when I was pro se, and he was literally like shaking. I don't think they quite knew how to handle um, handle me. But um, if they have any hope at all, I think they've got to they've got to bring a woman. Um, I I think that Dean uh, Carroll is just going to um, really give them something that uh, this case you know, we've never seen anything like this case, and I, I can't I cannot envision as much as he might tone himself down. I cannot envision it being a good look for them to have Joe Tacopina across examining Eugene Carroll on sexual assault issues. Yeah, I, I, um, I will just wrap it. That's a very two powerful observations, one from a, a practitioner and one from a sophisticated legal participant. I don't know. <laughs> Jessica, I want to call you a lawyer, but you're not there yet. You will one day. You'll be, you'll be there. But your, your, uh, your observations are great. The, the thing that, I, I, that kills me when I read social media about it is the, you know, Trump's been successful in getting out talking points against Eugene Carroll that are A, not sensible, B, not true. Like she was on, you know, uh, Tucker, um, she was on um, uh, one of the CNN shows, uh, Anderson Cooper, and said rape was sexy. But, you know, you have to watch the entire interview and the point that she was being made that and not what she was talking about at the time. But that's what you get pushback on. She is going to, they're going to do a cross of her. You know, it's going to be a very good day for the plaintiff after E. Jean Carroll testifies. Because as everybody here has said, everybody has said in general, when a witness like this one is so consistent in her story, so authentic in the telling, um, and it's unshakable in her resolve. The jury that resonates with the jury, especially the jury here in New York, is going to hear the story. And they're not going to have to, you know, I'm pretty sure in one of their motions, the judge isn't going to allow Takapina and Hava to even say, well, you waited. The date is the date, it's 9596. So they're not going to be able to make a big deal about that uh, because there was a new statute that was passed just in November, and she was case number one that was filed under it, and so they don't want to get the jury wrapped up. Like she went so long, uh, because for a long time her, her, her statute of limitations had run, and then it was reopened for a one-year period of time. But I think she's going to do well on the stand in her direct. I think then they're going to, look, they'll, they'll try to score some points that will backfire the way that we've just described it in front of a jury. If it's not, this is real brain surgery. And don't do it just right. It's going to backfire on the lawyers that are cross-examining her, and it's going to benefit her. And then, of course, Robbie Kaplan, just to round out our trial practice segment here of Leia, um, Robbie and her, her team gets to come back up and do what's called a rear if they've been hurt on any particular thing, if they want to give her a, a better opportunity to speak. Remember, in cross-examination, generally, it's, it's done in a yes or no format. In fact, if she's not answering yes or no, the judge will often admonish the person and say, you got it, you can explain it. You can do that when your own lawyer gets up, but you got to answer this question because it's framed as a yes or no. We call that a cross-examination question, a leading question. 
but with your own lawyer, you don't, you're not left. In fact, you're not allowed to leave. That's the and you have to answer, and you can give a little longer narrative of answers. So the, the lawyer will get back up. So she'll have the last word, literally, Robbie Kaplan and, and E. Jean Carroll, after, um, after getting through a what I think will be somehow a bigger truck examination. Then the rest of the witnesses come on. And then Donald Trump's going to have to come on and give his BS, which is, I don't know her, I don't like her, you know, it's not my type, you know, all this <laughs> other ridiculous, I, I was locker room talk in the Access Hollywood, uh, I, the woman in the first class, I, I never groped her, the woman uh, lies, lying people, People Magazine, at Mar-a-Lago, I never, I never put her up against the wall and forcibly kissed her, this is like a death by a thousand paper cuts, I mean, how many of these does the jury just going to roll their eyes, and who in that jury is, as Robbie Kaplan puts in the papers, an impartial jury doesn't mean one that's ignorant. I mean, we're not looking for people who don't know who Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States was, or that he lived in New York, or that he had a career, or that he's a celebrity apprentice. They're not finding that. It's just knowing all of that, can you be fair and impartial applying the law to the facts, yes or no? That's the question. That's it. That's the litmus test for everyone. Not whether, you know, you know anything about it. It doesn't require ignorance of the, of the defendant. So um, I think we're going to have to watch it closely. It's going to go on the 25th. There's going to be a ruling by Judge Kaplan off these competing briefs that have just been filed about delay, delay, delay. And I think, as I said, uh, Takapina shot himself, I don't know about in the foot, but in the head, by arguing that he just needed a 30-day cooling off, cooling off period between... The, the arraignment about an unrelated case having nothing to do with Eugene Carroll. Even at worst, Stormy Daniels is about paying off a yeah. woman you had sex with. It's not yeah, about exactly. attacking her sexually. Right. That's what I, I was, I, I forgot to, I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot Some to mention NDAs that. And women with the last <laughs> yeah, no, but that was, the, that was the most ridiculous argument that he made, was it's so similar. It's so similar. I'm like, it has, one's a white, yeah, it's a woman. white paper case. And another one's a civil rape case. Like, I'm sorry, they're nothing alike other than that they're both involving women. You know, one is, is consensual sex and one is, is rape. I, I don't know. I, I thought that was a, a ridiculous argument yeah. as well. Yeah, and we'll talk at the end, uh, uh, next segment or second after at the end, about the zoo suit that Donald Trump has called against Michael Cohen and why he's done it. I think Michael Cohen, of course, is the lead witness, as we know now, in the indictment of Donald Trump related to Stormy Daniels. Jessica, I'm so pleased that you were on. I know, Karen, what do you think? We should, we should have her come on more regularly, right? Yeah, it's always nice to have someone else come on. So, And it's great to I see I think you. this is the first, great to see you. This is the first Popak and I have shared shared a screen. But Karen and I got to know each other over the summer with the Gen 6 hearings, and I absolutely yeah. love doing them with you. I was always but, coming off. You were coming on after me. I jumped in. You came I know. On, right? I know. We never right. made it on at the same time. Right. Yeah. If well, thank you so much you, for having me. Uh, of course. Uh, we're going to come on your show. I think you, you and I talked about having yeah. Karen, me, or some combination, one or, one or, yeah. one or both at some other time. So, uh, for those that, that uh, are just kind of waking up and listening and watching, Jessica Denson, she's the anchor of a new podcast from a really great uh, perspective and a, and a serious and important voice on the Midas Touch Network called Lights On. And you can find it everywhere you find our stuff, right on the Midas Touch Network, on YouTube and in every place you can pull your podcast. Jessica Denson, thanks for being yeah. with us. And we're live, live every, every Friday at... 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, live live, just like this. So 
come on over and join us live live on Friday. And Jessica, <laughs> just, I wanted to say one thing. You are such an inspiration because oh, really it, it's, it takes a lot to, to take oh, on Donald Trump and his machine of intimidation and threats and harassment oh. as as we're seeing he's been doing to Alvin Bragg, as we're seeing that he does. But, you know, Alvin Bragg's an elected official. And he, he sort of signed up for that, right? You are a person, right? You're just a normal person. You're a woman. You're smart. And, and you took him on. And it's not just that what's impressive isn't that you did it pro se without a lawyer. What's impressive, I mean, yes, that's also impressive. But what's really impressive is that you had the strength and the fortitude to take him on despite what he does to people. So it's really, it's really amazing what you've done. It's an inspiration, and uh, hopefully your strength will give other people strength to come forward because he's just a minister. Thank you so much. It means the world coming from you, Karen. Thank you. <laughs> well, before Jessica takes our job as lawyers, <laughs> we're going to go. <laughs> wish her well, but we're going to go to one of our... I don't have time for law school yet, but I might be going to law school. Uh, uh, I would be <laughs> Let's go to one of our sponsors and come back and do two segments we're going to come back to. We're going to do Michael Cohen getting sued by Donald Trump just today. Talk about real time. In Miami, uh, in the Southern District of Florida, we'll talk about why that was filed there and what do we think is going to happen next and why... And why uh, why Florida at all? We'll talk about that, and we're going to talk about what is happening with the trial that starts on Monday. Dominion voting machines versus uh, Fox. Fox is stepped in both feet in both buckets in front of this judge. Has is getting sanctioned by them even before the jury selection has happened. Major rulings have gone against Fox News before in Fox Corporation even before they enter the room. The jury's got very little to do because the judge already ruled against Fox on three major issues. We're going to talk about all that after this note from our sponsor. Chicken this crispy tastes good with everything. More to love. Type in. We're going to talk about all that after this note from our sponsor. Let's take a quick break to talk about our next sponsor, Neurohacker Qualia Mind. Just like you, throughout the course of a workday, we here at Legal AF are juggling a lot of different tasks and assignments. Stories and shows, analysis and hot takes. That's why we're so proud to partner with Neurohacker Qualia Mind to keep us focused and improve our memory. Transforming willpower and productivity can in turn transform tons of life habits for the better. From workouts to job performance to life goals, and that's why it's right back to you, Karen. We've got a Judge defamation case brought by Dominion Voting Systems, an election uh, software and hardware company that was just doing their job selling safe and effective cyber secure uh, voting machines to different uh, election precincts sure and counties the... around the country. Out of Canada, that's where they got their their dominion from. It comes from a reference to um, the women's suffrage movement in Canada, of all things. And it was invented as a company after the hanging Chad 2000 election by a 5-4 to four vote of the U.S. Supreme Court. If you're wondering where the company came from, it has no relationship to Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, um, a bribery <laughs> conspiracy uh, with uh, the Georgia election officials, Smartmatic working with Dominion. This is all the fevered pitch opium dreams of Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani who brought their schlock show onto Fox um, and put it on Maria Bartiromo and Lou Dobbs and all Judge the rest me. of them. 
and trafficked in all of this garbage and defamatory statements about Dominion killing their business um, and sacrificing their professional reputation on the altar of the greed of Fox. So two entities got sued that are important. Fox News, which is the one, I don't know why we call it news, Fox whatever, uh, that you watch on television with Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Laura Abraham and the rest. And Fox Corporation, which is the parent company to Lachlan Murdoch run news. That's the defendant. And in the case of a civil case that's now in Delaware Superior Court, we're moving through a lot of courts today. It's like our fifth or sixth court and, mm-hmm. and court system, federal versus state, that we're going to talk about. This was Superior Court, Delaware, Judge Eric Davis sitting down in in Delaware, in Wilmington, Delaware, where this where this resides, Joe Biden's backyard, back country. And the case got followed by Dominion there because Fox is a Delaware corporation as Half of the Fortune 500 is because of the laws that are down there. So that's how we got there. This case has gone terrible for Fox almost from day one, and it backfired when they brought a motion for summary judgment, as as did Dominion about a month ago, telling the judge that the jury shouldn't even get this case judge. So Fox did the same thing. What we said was not defamatory about them. It's opinion. It wasn't fact. We're journalists. We have a protection of the First Amendment. We have a protection of a body of law under the U.S. Constitution and the Supreme Court called Times, New York Times versus Sullivan, which says that I can say anything I want about anybody, and it can be defamatory if I wasn't uh, a part of the media, as long as I don't make that statement and publish it with actual malice, meaning I know it's false when I said it, or I have a reckless disregard for whether it's true or false. I really don't care because I'm all about the ratings. That's the doctrine in a nutshell. The judge took a look at the papers, took a look at the thousands of emails, the thousands of, of internal emails among the news, the news side, the editorial side, the business side, Rupert Murdoch, the president of News Corp, the three talking heads, Hannity, Tucker, and, uh, and Laura Ingraham, and all of that, and concluded already before the jury even got in, it's picked on Monday, concluded that everything that Fox said about Dominion is false. Falsity, which is the first element of defamation, already established by the judge. The judge is going to tell the jury there's three elements of defamation. Falsity of, of the thing said, publication that it got said to a third party in writing or, or orally, and damages. I'm taking two away from you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I made a ruling before you even got here. Falsity is proven and publication is proven and for Fox News and for Fox Corp, all proven. All you got to do now is do damages, write a check, figure out whether they've been damaged, of course they have been, and, and write a big check for it. $1.6 billion is what Dominion wants. And look at one, one major defense, the only defense that really Fox News and Fox Corp have, which is actual malice. Was there actual malice? The judge said, I looked at all the emails. It looks like the viewer should have known that everything you were putting on the air with complete and utter horseshit. This is my words, not his. And therefore, it's pretty close on actual mouth. I'm going to let it squeak by and get to the jury, but it's pretty close that you would have lost this case just now on summary judgment. But the judge is pissed about something 
on top of all of this, based on some revelations that came out late in discovery, I mean late like yesterday. <laughs> we're going to trial on Monday, okay? And the judge is just hearing about these issues now because the Fox News is just is just continuing to dump documents on the other side at this late game. Karen, why is the judge pissed? And what does he say about what he's going to do about it when the trial, you know, either during the trial or after the trial is over? Yeah, so look, Judge Eric Davis, who's the judge here, uh, is sanctioning Fox for withholding uh, information and evidence. He said that he's likely to have uh, a special master appointed to do an investigation into Fox's handling of documents during the discovery process and whether it withheld details uh, about whether Rupert Murdoch was a corporate officer or not. Uh, and, and those are the two areas where uh, the judge was was pissed off, frankly, where the Dominion's lawyers said um, that that the information was withheld from them, really important, relevant information and materials, as well as uh, this status of whether Rupert Murdoch had a corporate role or not. So uh, Dominion uh, said that Fox only turned over recently, like I think it was a week ago, certain recordings that uh, existed between Maria Bartiromo, who was talking to Trump lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, and the judge that the Dominion had to ultimately do additional depositions or redo any that are already done because of these late disclosures and late uh, late discovery uh, information that was turned over, that, that basically Fox will do everything they can to make whoever the person is available if they have to do it, and uh, it will be at their cost. They'll have to pay for whatever this cost, this late discovery. And they're going and, and the judge is very likely he's going to appoint a special master to investigate Fox's handling of these uh, materials, of these documents, and whether they inappropriately withheld this information from Dominion, and whether they withheld details about Rupert Murdoch's role as a corporate officer of Fox News. So. Apparently, they knew that he was a corporate officer of Fox Corporation, but they didn't know that he had a role in Fox News, which is relevant here because it has to go. It has to do with whether or not they would have subpoenaed certain documents or asked certain questions in deposition because it's Fox News that was making some of the decisions, the editorial decisions about what to put on and what not to put on the news. Uh, that turned out to be false. I think jury selection is tomorrow, uh, and openings are Monday. And um, I think this is starting actually tomorrow as in Thursday. And, you know, the judge thinks this is very serious. He thinks that the, uh, there's been misrepresentations made to the court. Anytime a judge says that, you know, it's one thing to objection sustained, objection overruled. It's one thing to lose an objection, right? And, and that happens and you go on with, with life in your trial. But if a judge is accusing you of, of withholding information from the court, lying to the court, that's pretty serious, and it's not going to bode well for uh, for Fox and their lawyers during this trial. So I, I think it's a very big deal, this trial starting tomorrow. They, they wanted to, sub, um, Fox wanted to decouple, I think is the word they used, or I can't remember the, the word they used, but they wanted to deconsolidate. Deconsolidate, <laughs> yeah, I know it's something like that. They wanted to deconsolidate these trials and um, and have Fox News go and not Fox Corp or vice versa, and the judge wasn't having anything <laughs> anything of that. So, 
So we'll see. I yeah. think this is, this is one to watch. Well, let me tell you what he could do, because I've been involved with cases like this, not on, on the Fox side. <laughs> and let me just frame this for people who don't think that the that if people are out there, maybe not in our chats and watching our show, that Fox is going to be able to dance through the raindrops without getting wet, as that common phrase is, on actual malice, they're not. There is a video, there is a recording of a conversation between Maria Bartiromo that just got produced the last couple of days, and Rudy Giuliani and Powell, in which Powell then sent her, 